Hi there, welcome to the Tips for Teaching podcast. Effectively, this is our second go at doing the Tips for Teaching podcast. We had a try a little while ago, um, but then I had the craziest year in education that I think I've had since I was an NQT. So they kind of fell by the wayside, but this is, I suppose, the start of the all new Tips for Teaching podcast. Welcome. Hi, welcome to today's podcast. This podcast is part of my four ideas series, I guess, of posts that I've been putting up on my blog over at tipsforteaching.co.uk. So if you want to see the original blog post that this podcast is based on, move yourself over to tipsforteaching.co.uk and check it out. The primary focus is four questioning ideas that I tested during the term. Enjoy. Hi then, last half term, I focused on improving my own classroom questioning and sharing this with the NQTs that I was working with at the time. Not that I particularly thought my questioning was poor, it's just that questioning is something I believe is best revisited as often as possible to fine-tune. I thought I would share the top four questioning activities that I used over the last six weeks for anyone who's interested in refreshing their own practice. So here we go. Number one is no hands up questioning. Or cold calling as it's sometimes referred to. You ask students, or I asked students, um, a question out loud but they're not allowed to put their hands up. The question is said to the whole class and the students have to listen. I then choose which students are going to answer that question. And I can, you know, choose the students based on my own knowledge of my students in my classroom and what level of challenge those students in particular need. It's a really good tool. By not allowing students to put their hands up, I'm in complete control of who I'm challenging. Um, I can make sure that it's not the same person answering questions time and time again, which I'm sure we've all seen happen in classrooms. One thing I will say about this is, in terms of low stakes, high stakes, this is quite high stakes, for a student that is. They're not going to put their hand up if they're not comfortable answering a question. Equally, when you put an activity forward like this where you're not allowing hands up, you're telling the students they're all up for this challenge and some of those students might not be up for this challenge so before you do anything like this you really need to have created a really safe and and strong relationship with your students that they trust you and that they're comfortable to share their ideas and their knowledge with their peers but it's a great great technique to try for more reading on this check out teach like a champion just google it Go over to their blog, read on No Hands Up Questioning. Some really interesting stuff there. Next up, uh, number two on the list, is pyramid questioning. Now, if you want to see visuals of this, if you go over to tipsterteaching.co.uk, you can check out the four ideas for questioning post. And I've got some embedded images to kind of illustrate this point and if you check out my twitter account at tips for teaching uk i tweeted some little video explanations of this as well i start by posing a question to one of what i 
you know, would call maybe my weaker students or some people would refer to as their lower ability students. So the students who maybe struggle the most or I feel haven't absorbed enough of the information as I yet want them to have. So I start by asking a question to them and I work my way up through the students based on their level of understanding at the moment, their ability at the moment, until I'm at what I might consider my most able, my high flyer in the class, the student who really understands this topic and can answer a really strong probing question on the topic. Classically, that's where questioning technique would end. Again, this is high stakes. It's depending on the positive environment you've created in your classroom, but I don't stop there. You then work your way in your head down the ability level of your students again. Not necessarily the same students you questioned before, but other students in your room that you know maybe don't understand the topic as fully or have a looser grasp on it or haven't grabbed some of the concepts or the key vocabulary yet. Now, why do this? It allowed me to challenge my lower ability or my, my students who struggle that bit more. It switched the others on I could then take the answers of all of the students and carefully question up to my more able to build on the answer. But then instead of ending, I moved back down those students. And the aim was to allow the second set of learners to give fuller answers than those who went at the very beginning. And in my classroom, it actually really did help. So some of the students that I know don't always grasp the topic straight away or will give me the more simplistic answers when I ask them to write it down. By the time the questioning came around to them, they'd seen the other students who were maybe what we would call at the same level as them, but then they'd other seen the other students and listened to the other students in the class that they perhaps considered, oh, you know, that's that's a really brainy kid, for example. And the answers I tended to get were much stronger on the use of subject-specific vocabulary. They were more detailed in their explanation of a concept. It was really, really good. And, 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 and it gave the students a real buzz of confidence. So I used it in... in I have had um, one lesson a week for six weeks that half-term that I did this for the first time. And by the time we'd got to sort of the sixth week, I, as the teacher who knew all my students in the room, could really see a difference in the... The, the type of question I was getting straight out of the gate, you know, the first round of questions was at a much higher quality because they knew what the routine was going to be. So they were trying to almost sort of get their best answer in first, uh, no matter what kind of level they were at. It's a really good one. Really good. Next up was starter for 10 questions. So starter for 10 questions. Let me explain what it is. This was a really good way to use questions at the very start of my lessons. I created a series of questions, 10 10 each, based on the topic that they'd studied the previous lesson. We call it recall questions in my school. It's a really good recall tactic, this. And simply put the 10 questions up on the board, ask the students to write the number of the question and the answer alongside it. They had to answer in full sentences. So they couldn't just write, you know, a one word answer to the question. They had to effectively repose the question into their answer. And each of the questions I made more challenging than the one before it. Why do it? Well, it's a really good challenge at the start of the lesson. So it sets my expectations to the students about the type of learning that is going to take place in my classroom. 
it's a really good way, especially if you write them in the order of the first five questions are perhaps that bit more accessible than the last five. Then it gives students a kind of path of knowing that they can work their way into the difficult questions. And it gives my weaker students a success at the start of the lesson. So something I can latch on to with them really quickly. And when we share the answers with the class, I'll go to them for those first five questions specifically. And then it gives them higher ability students or, you know, the more able, however you want to refer to them. It gives them those five questions that they feel they can get a bit of challenge with at the beginning of the lesson and that they can then show their knowledge from the previous subject, um, the previous lesson taught once we, we do a sharing of the class. Now, what we do to help build those recall skills is we do these 10 questions. We then get the students to grab a green pen and I will question various students in the classroom and discuss the answers to the questions to try and frame the best answer to each of the questions. But this is what's really important. It is low stakes. I don't mark this in the lesson. The students self and maybe occasionally a bit of peer marking of this in the lesson. And crucially with the green pen, I'll often say to them, look, if you don't have this particular word in, you need to make sure you write that one word in green pen next to your sentence. It's a really good sentence, but be much stronger with this one word. And that creates a really low stakes environment for the students. They'll engage in the activity brilliantly, partly because they know they're not going to, this isn't going to be marked and assessed and I'm not going to write down the number. Uh, it's not going to go in the grade book. But what happens afterwards is when the books are collected in, when I've got some time a week or so later, I can go through it and I can write some positive comments in where they got things correct. I can comment on how well they've self-assessed and how well they've corrected their answers. And I can help build some of those really good student behaviours of self-correcting by just pointing out, you know, oh, you missed some of the feedback we gave as a class here. Next time, listen out for what you need to add in green pen. And I'll be honest, it really had an impact in, an impact in one term alone. The students really bought into this as a, as a routine. The last tip on the blog post is an absolute classic. So this is one you probably all covered in your training, but I'm gonna I'm gonna recap it here anyway, because it was brilliant and I did this for the half term as often as I could. And that's pause, pause, pounce, and bounce. Well, what is it first? Just in case someone doesn't quite know. It's a classic for starters. You pause a question to the whole class. You pause for a few moments. The longer the better. The difficulty for teachers is getting comfortable with any kind of sort of silence when the question has been posed in class. But honestly, pace up and down on the spot, you know, well, not on the spot, but you know what I mean, across the front of your classroom or up and down an aisle or round a table, you know, whatever, to stretch out that silence. Then pounce. And that's when you choose a student to answer the question. Don't just stop with the one student. Bounce the question or the extension of that question to another student, challenging them to add onto that question. You know, do you want to challenge what's been said? Do you want to build on top of what's been said? Really, really brilliant way of engaging the whole class in questioning. Especially if you use that, do you want to add to it or do you want to challenge what's been said? And you will find students will start to use that language as well. I'd like to add to what James has just said. Actually, I want to challenge it because I think I understand it as this. 
It's a fantastic tool in your classroom. Brilliant way of questioning and superb way of you assessing the level of understanding in your lesson. It's a really good habit to build in. That's it. We're at the end. And that's it. Four questioning ideas that I tested last term. I hope they all make sense. I hope they're all things you might want to go back into your classroom with in the new term and try one or two or three or all of them yourself. For more information um, and a free download sheet, there's a whole A4 sheet um, that you can download and share with your colleagues. It's a high resolution PDF that is available at tipsforteaching.co.uk. Go to the section on four ideas and you'll see it's in there. Four questioning ideas I tested last term. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. Have a great day.